The Old Testament lesson for the Feast of the Holy Trinity is from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Thee, O Christ. There was a radio show that I used to listen to quite often on public radio. And if you know anything about public radio, you know that there are frequent fund drives. They're always trying to earn a little bit of extra money. And this radio program was trying to earn some extra money to support their production. And they thought of a great idea. I thought it was a fantastic idea. The hosts of the show had fantastic personalities, really were the life of the show. And they said, if you donate to this show, you will have a chance to come to New York City and spend an evening bowling with the hosts of the show. Which, to a fan of the show, sounds wonderful. A chance to get to know these people, to spend some time with them, maybe even to have them take an interest in me. What a wonderful thing that would be. It's a great stunt, a great fundraising stunt, but that is what it is. It's a stunt. Of course, you'd show up in New York City, supposing you won the chance to go bowling with them. You'd show up in New York City, and they'd give you some time and attention because that's what's getting them paid. And then you'd go home, you'd return to Minnesota, and they would forget about you, quickly. <laughs> and you wouldn't know any more about them than you knew before, because really their personalities are hidden behind the front that they put up before the world. It's not really a chance to get to know them, it's not really a chance for them to know you, it's something much less. Or think about this example. Think about a child who has a hero. Suppose a child has a hero, say the President of the United States, and wants to write a letter to the President. A noble thing to write a letter to the President. And they send a letter to the President and maybe, maybe there's a chance that they get a letter back from the President. But you and I know, just as well as anyone, that that letter was written by an intern <laughs> in an office, not written by the President himself. Maybe he signed it or maybe it was just a photocopy of his signature. But suppose there was some off chance that the president actually did write back to the child. What a wonderful thing that would be to hear from the president directly, to receive in his own hand a letter from the president. But still, even then, you know, it's just a token. It's a moment, soon forgotten to the president, maybe cherished by the child, but quickly forgotten by the president. It's just a moment, it's not a relationship. They don't know each other. The president and that child don't really know each other. Imagine how shocking it would be if upon receiving a letter from a child, the president were to say, I want to spend my time with this kid. I want to get to know this child. I want to be a part of that child's life. How strange that would be. Unrealistic, unworldly. Would never happen. Those two examples, I think, give you a sliver, just a slight perspective on how monumental it is, how remarkable and otherworldly it is that the God who created the heavens and the earth wants to be known by you, that he wants to reveal himself to you, that he wants to give his time and attention to you. The difference between a radio show and its hosts, or even the President of the United States, the difference between those people and God is like night and day and even greater. There's no comparison. And yet, and yet, we are all here in this place today, on this occasion especially, because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want to be known by you. It is easy to take for granted 
that we can know God. We so often think ourselves great. We think that we are the center of the universe. It's so easy to do, to be bound up in ourselves, to think that everything revolves around us, including the God who created the heavens and the earth. And so we take it for granted that we should be able to know who God is. And yet, St. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians that the world does not know God. Yes, it knows some things about him. It knows that he's out there that nothing has come into existence apart from him. It knows some things about him, but it does not know him. You can see how great he is. Romans chapter 11, our epistle lesson, what does Paul say? How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Beyond comprehension, beyond your mind and mine, beyond what any creature could ever hope to accomplish. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? From him and through him and to him are all things, and none of those things belong to you. None of those things belong to you, nor do you have any claim to make on God. Who are we? Who are we that God should want to be known by us? That, of course, is just accounting for the distance between a creature and its creator, between someone who is small and someone who is great. Why should someone who is small ever expect to know the one who is great? And yet there is more. You heard it in our Old Testament lesson, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah finds himself in the throne room of God, and rightly, rightly, he is astounded, terrified, in fact. Woe is me, he says, for I am lost. I don't belong here. Not just because this is the throne room of the creator of the heavens and the earth. I am lost because I have sin in me through and through. I am a man of unclean lips and I am of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He does not belong. Besides the distance between a creature and its creator, there is the distance caused by sin between us and our Heavenly Father. The distance that cannot be traversed by us. There is a chasm fixed by our sin, which makes it so that we cannot approach His holiness. We would be consumed. We would have to tremble, like Isaiah did. And yet, again, we take it for granted that we can come into God's presence, that we know who God is, just like Nicodemus did. He came to Jesus in the middle of the night. Listen to what he said. Rabbi, we know, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He's right. Jesus is a teacher come from God, and no one could do those signs apart from God, and yet he does not know. Nicodemus does not know. He's born of flesh. How can one who is born of flesh know the things of the Spirit? How can one who is born of Adam know the things of God? But listen to what Jesus says to him. Jesus, who is God himself standing in the flesh before Nicodemus, listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A hint of what Jesus is about to reveal to Nicodemus. That although there is this chasm fixed, this distance between God and man that we cannot cross on our own, although there is this gap, God himself wants to cross that gap. 
God himself wants to be known by you. He wants you to be in his kingdom. And so he says what it takes. A man must be born again, which to Nicodemus sounds utterly outrageous. Can a man re-enter his mother's womb once he is old? Once he is young, what's the difference? Can you go back into your mother's womb and be born again? Absolutely not. And yet God wills to have that happen. Not that you re-enter into your mother's womb, that you be born again according to the Spirit. That's what we heard in the introit that we recited as we began the service from Psalm 8, this beautiful psalm, which is always good to hold in your mind as you meditate on who God is, as you consider who he is and what he has done for you. This question should always be on your mind. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Who are we? And yet, he is mindful of us. He does care for us. Think of what he has done from the beginning. How he took a people, a people who were no one, the children of Abraham, and he gave them his name. He made himself known to them. He gave him his personal name. The God, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, gave his very own name to his people so that they could call on him whenever they needed, day in and day out. See what he did for Isaiah as he stood in the throne room of God, undone, terrified. God sent his angel, his holy angel, to take a coal from the altar and touch it to Isaiah's lips and to speak these precious words of absolution. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God himself spans the gap between creature and creator, between sinner and the most holy one. He himself crosses over in no more profound way than when he took on human flesh himself. When the very Son of God became clothed in flesh to dwell among us so that we could see him, so that we could hear him, And in seeing him and hearing him and knowing him, we could know even the Father. See how badly God wants to be known by you. That in spite of this distance, he crosses it for your sake so that you can know him. He teaches you to confess who he is. That word confess, which we use to describe what we do when we recite the creed, it means to speak together. We speak together and speak back to God the things that he has said to us. So when we recite a creed, all we are doing is saying back to God what he has said to us. We're saying it to one another. This is what God has said. This is who he has shown us to be. This is who he has revealed himself to be. This is how he wants to be known by us. He has taught us to confess that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what we confess today in the Athanasian Creed, which I know when we say it once a year, it really stands out and it is striking when it hits the ears. There's a few things to pay close attention to in the Athanasian Creed. The first is that use of the word Catholic, which of course when you see that little c, that lowercase c in the word Catholic, it doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. We aren't confessing the faith of the Roman Catholic Church, but that word Catholic which begins with a little c, simply means universal. This is what Christians everywhere say about who God is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, and one God. It matters that we say that, just like those men who confessed this so long ago. It matters that they say that and that we say that because that is who God is. 
It's who he has revealed himself to be. When the writers of these creeds, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed, when they were composing these creeds, they were concerned to fight against those who would say something else about God. Especially in the case of the Athanasian Creed, that those who would say that God is something less than who he says he is, that the Son of God, that Jesus, is something less than God. That because he's wearing human flesh, he is somehow less God than the Father or the Holy Spirit. They said, no, we have to insist that Jesus is, in fact, God himself, equal with his Father, according to his divinity, that must be because, if it's not, what would his death on the cross do for us? Be as good as one of you dying on the cross for the world. But if he is the Son of God, and if he is equal to the Father, according to his divinity, then when he takes on human flesh and dies on the cross for you and for your salvation, it happens that your soul is saved, that your humanity is elevated, brought from the depths of the grave, that you are united with God himself. That is why they took such time and such care and went into such detail, such exhausting detail, to preserve this truth about who God is. Because God himself has revealed himself in that way. Even timid Nicodemus, who in our gospel lesson was coming to Jesus in the middle of the night because he was afraid, even timid Nicodemus knew how important it was to preserve God's reputation, to preserve his name. Later, when the Jews were conspiring about Jesus, Nicodemus said, you can't try a man, you can't convict a man without giving him a proper trial. And this Jesus, you should find out who he is first. You should hear from him who he is first before you make a judgment about him. And then at the end of Jesus' life, as he's brought down from the cross, there Nicodemus is, confessing with his actions as he brought spices to anoint Jesus' body. There he is confessing that this was truly the Son of God. That is what we do when we confess the Athanasian Creed, when we confess the Apostles' Creed, when we confess the Nicene Creed, and when we live according to that creed, believing that God the Father created the world through his Son by the Holy Spirit and that he sent his Son into the world to redeem lost sinners like you and me. That God himself has spanned the gap. That is why we confess, because that is what God wants us to do. It is who God has revealed himself to be, and he wants to be known by us. We no longer have God's personality, his glory, hidden behind a cloud as it was for the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. We no longer have it hidden behind Moses, who even had to veil his face because the people couldn't stand the reflection of God's glory. All of that has been taken away because we can see Christ. We have known him. We have known what he has done for us. We have known the mind of God in Christ Jesus. And even though now, for a time, it is still shrouded in lots of mystery, there's a lot that is impossible to understand. There is much in that creed that is beyond our comprehension. Even though that is the case for now, St. Paul tells us that while we see through a mirror dimly at this moment, there comes a day when we will see face to face. Though we now know only in part, there is coming a day when we will know in full. That is what we strive towards. That is what we are eagerly longing for. That is what we grow into in this life. But Paul tells us something most important, something that you should hold fast to and never forget. That as we grow in knowledge, 
in the knowledge of our God and Father and His Son and His Spirit, as we grow in knowledge more and more, and as one day we will know Him fully, we have been known fully by Him. He knows you. He has come close to you. He has drawn close to you and knows you. That is all that matters. That is what matters most of all. That is what spans the gap. That is what brings you close to Him. That is what lets you share in his holiness, in his righteousness. That is what lets you be born again of water and the Spirit so that by his grace you can enter into his kingdom. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.